country, but those people, as you call us, well, it seems very important. Why aren't you there? My life is here. My grandfather came from Russia, and now we have a store on Fifth Avenue. I'll visit, but I don't have to live there. Just has to be. For me, it's more of an idea than a place. Utopia. Maybe. They taught us at Barnard about that word. Utopia. The Greeks had two meanings for it. Utopos, meaning the good place, and utopos, meaning the place that cannot be. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of A Thing Like That, a podcast about madmen. Gotta write that time. As usual, I'm your host, Michael Levito. And I'm Kathleen Levito. And we're going to talk about Mad Men. Specifically, Season 1, Episode 6, Babylon. Kathleen, what are your thoughts on this episode? So, as I told you before we started, I misplaced the notebook that I keep all of my notes in. So I don't really remember what happened in this episode. Um... Oh, no, this one was about, like, Utopia. Yeah. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why don't you give us uh, the rundown, Mike? Uh, It's the Basket Full of Kisses episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How did I not remember that? Yeah. It's, I think it's an episode that I think is maybe a little over the top in some of the stuff it does. I think specifically the way they treat the secretaries and the Yeah, oh my god. Is a little, like, maybe it was that really that bad, but at the same time, it's like, they lay it on a little thick. Yeah. Um, it kind of, it really does, like, echo the first episode a little bit. It's it's interesting, because this is, like, a very important transitional episode, where, like, really, I feel the stories, like, everyone's stories really pick up after this. Mm-hmm. There's a changing point that goes on. But it does, like, in terms of tone and in terms of message, in terms of, like, character, just, like, ridiculousness, it really does echo back to the to the pilot episode. Yeah. And it attacks on this ending that's like, I don't know if it completely earns this very dramatic sort of ending, um, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. All right, <coughs> Babylon, it, I, my, my throat is just destroyed because I was coughing all last night and getting over a cold, um, and I just downed a hot toddy, which I feel like is a very madman move, so just, just telling you where, what, what kind of state I'm in, why my voice might, might not sound so great. We're just both not on our A games yeah, today, yeah. so... So, well, I might be a little discombobulated. But anyway, this episode written by Andre and Maria Jacques Metten, directed by Andrew Bernstein. It starts in Austin, New York, as Don has prepared breakfast in bed for Betty on Mother's mm. Day. As he's got climbing up the stairs, he steps on someone's toy, he falls backwards, and that throws him into a flashback where he sees himself falling on the stairs as a young boy in his Uncle Max house. When his brother Adam, who had just re-entered just like the episode before, was just born. Um, anyway, so he and Betty have sort of a, and the kids have a day out of town for Mother's Day. Um, Don's reading a book called The Best of Everything. He's fascinated by it. Joan and yeah, I almost said Joan and Betty. Betty and Don talk about the movie they just watched, and 
they talk about how Joan Crawford doesn't look like how she used to and thinks she's gotten old. At that point, she would just want to disappear. And it's talking a lot about her her mother's deceased, which kind of, you know, thinks Dawn doesn't, doesn't really appreciate, thinks it's sort of morose and melancholy. Um, then they begin to kiss, and she goes into this sort of bizarre, poorly delivered monologue about how much she loves Dawn mm-hmm. and how she waits for him all day when she's at home, blah, blah, blah. Um, next day, at Sterling Cooper... Don is meeting with representatives of Olympic Cruise Lines and the Israeli Ministry of Tourism because they want to promote Israel as a resort destination. They hand Don a copy of Exodus, the story of the founding of Israel, to him. At the same time, Roger's wife and daughter, Mona and Margaret, they visit the office um, and they sort of awkwardly meet Joan. Why is that awkward? Because later we find out that Roger and Joan are having an affair at some fancy hotel in New York. Roger talked about how happy he is with Joan here, and Joan's like, yeah, whatever, we're sneaking around, we're having fun, whatever. Um, back at Sterling Cooper, Don's looking at Holocaust pictures of Paul, Sal, and Pete. We're talking about Israel, they just don't know how to promote this thing. Um, Pete says we should promote his adventure travel, and they're like, yeah, no, no, never mind. But after they all leave, Don calls pretty much the only Jewish person he knows, Rachel, and she agrees to meet him for lunch. Meanwhile, later that night, Don is trying to read next to this, and Betty tells a story of how the first boy she kissed was Jewish and she tries to kiss him but then he just doesn't want to kiss her uh, <clears throat> next day at Sterling Cooper uh, Ken and Sally meet with Freddie and they're stuck on the Belle Julie lipstick campaign they just don't know what woman wants kind of going back to I think the second episode there um, Freddie says hey why don't we use the secretaries as a test group so they just bring all the women into this sort of test group room where they all test out the different lipsticks and the men watch through a one way glass and they're very sort of um, you know, mad many as they do it. They, they ogle them and all that. And he knows that Peggy isn't really participating. At the end of the test, Peggy picks up all these discarded tissues that people are using for their uh, lipstick, um, puts them into a trash can, hands it to Freddie and says, here's your basket of kisses. And Freddie's like, ah, oh, where'd you hear that? And she's like, oh, I made it up. He's like, ah, oh, she may have something here. Um... Meanwhile, Don gets lunch with Rachel. They talk about Judaism and Israel and utopia. Um, they have this sort of intimate moment where Don holds her hand, and Rachel's like, I don't really need Israel because I have my store. Um, let's see what else happens here. I did not write the synopsis. I'm stealing it all from lipsisters.com, so apologies, apologies, apologies. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about how Don gets the news from Freddie and Style that, you know, they think, hey, Peggy could be a copier. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. So uh, Peggy is, is sort of getting ready to leave, and Joan's like, hey, you know, you got this new work from Mr. Rumps and Freddie. Um, it's all in your own, front, all in own time. You don't get a raise, but, you know, you're a copywriter now. She's very stoked about that. Rachel calls her sister and talks about Don. Um, later, Greenwich Village, uh, not Greenwich Village, Don goes to Greenwich Village, almost like Greenwich Village goes to Don, um, where he visits Midge. They start making out. Then eventually Roy, Midge's beatnik friend, knocks on the door and he kisses her. Uh, they get introduced to each other, the men. They go to the gaslight uh, to see their friend Ian sing, I guess. And Midge and Roy have this sort of competitive moment where they discuss mediocrity and the lies of advertising and all of that. Um, Roger buys Jonah Bird so she can have a roommate who isn't human and won't mind if Roger comes to visit often. And then this episode ends with... <clears throat> them watching this guy sing this sad song about leaving Babylon. There's a series of quick cuts to Don's face, Rachel at her store, um, Betty putting lipstick on Sally, then Don again, 
the Joan and Roger getting dressed up and leaving the hotel, and then when the song ends, they're just street sounds. So that's the synopsis. Um, thanks again to Lipsisters.com for having that there. What is the theme of this episode, Catherine? Utopia. Exactly. Excuse me. And it's a theme that is pretty... <coughs> well, that is pretty sort of thoroughly discussed uh, at the lunch of Don and Rachel, right? Um, Rachel says there are two types of utopia. There's utopios, which is the good place, and then utopus, which is the place that cannot be. And throughout this episode, we see a bunch of examples of both of those, actually, Many of the good places that the characters sort of find desirable are, in fact, places that cannot be. Mm-hmm. And so let's look at some of those, shall Yeah, let's we? look at some of those places. So, let me pull up my document here. I can talk while you do that, because I want to talk about the things that I remember okay. <laughs> before I run out of notes. Um, the first one that came to mind was Roger and Joan. Mm. The fact that Roger is like, I am so happy here, you know, I don't have to listen to my daughter being weird or my wife or whatever and Joan is really just like yeah you know I'm gonna get bored of you eventually right like this is not this is not gonna be forever or Roger is clearly very intent on making it a thing um a long lasting thing and she's just like what I got other things to do um let's see yeah Roger even says you know you have no idea how unhappy I was before I met you yeah right um he she is his utopia, and their their um, their hotel room is his utopia, yeah. right? They have all these fancy foods, fancy room service. Um, he says he wants to lock her up there all week, right? Yeah. It's the place he wants to be constantly, and she's really the only one who recognizes that it's temporary. It's has to be sort of under the radar, and all of that. Even to the point where she's like, "I don't even want to eat in this room." Yeah, like it's depressing to me. She says it reminds her of a hospital. Yeah. Which is like, it is kind of funny because Roger is several years older than her. Mm-hmm. So it it puts her in this strange caretaking like, yeah. role mm-hmm. um, by saying that. It's interesting. Um, let's see. Betty's utopia is youth and beauty. We have discussed this many times before, but she mm-hmm. talks about, who is it, Cindy Crawford they talk about? Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford. Cindy Crawford came uh, like 50 years later. I was like, yeah, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are they related? No. Oh, wow. Okay. Cindy Crawford's real name is even Cindy Crawford, I don't think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Guess what? Whoopi Goldberg's real name isn't Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact. That's true. Um, side note, but fun fact. Don Draper's real name isn't Don Draper. <laughs> oh, wow. Bring it a full circle. Cindy Crawford's real name is Cindy Crawford, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, well, not really full circle. Okay. Um, but she talks about how Joan Crawford has lost her beauty and she talks about how her mother was beautiful up into the very last day and she wants to die beautiful which we'll get to that in the spoiler section yeah um and then towards the end of the movie she's putting lipstick on sally you know she's like continuing that heritage of beauty and perfection yeah and i would also say that her utopia thing is also dawn she has that whole thing where how much you know she loves him and always just wants him in ways from which you know i I think Danny, January Jones gets piled on a lot. Maybe this is justification where it's like she isn't really like. I don't think it's a well written. I don't think it's a well written scene, mm-hmm. but I also don't think she delivers it particularly well or convincingly. The more I watch her acting, the more I hate it. I'm gonna be totally honest. Yeah. Yeah. Really it, it, do you hate January Jones or do you hate Betty Draper? I hate the way. I think Betty Draper could be a more interesting character if she didn't speak in monotone. <laughs> 
is all and then if she had like feeling behind her eyes mm. because right now all I get from January Jones is like just like baby blues with a steel wall behind them mm-hmm. and just one level of speak all the time and like Don I love you so much why don't you love me too <laughs> and it's it drives me insane yeah but because there was so much potential for that to be like a really gripping wrenching kind of like more a storyline that you want, want to be more invested in and mm-hmm. feel for one of the characters over the other but it's really just like they both suck yeah anyway that's my opinion okay <laughs> I think I she's fine anyway um <laughs> Yes, and, and so it's interesting because it's like her utopia of beauty and youth is because it facilitates her utopia of catching yeah, Don and a man in general. Exactly. And that's something, again, that is talked about in later seasons as well. Mm-hmm. But it really is, they go hand in hand of just like, this is... I, I imagine at some point they talk later about... I feel like I remember them talking later about her, how she was raised. Was she ever raised to get a man? Uh, sort of. There's, like, a lot of illusions where it's, like, oh, like, my mother would say, don't eat too much, you'll become stout. Yeah. And it's very clear that, like, her mother put great emphasis on appearance as well. And talks about how one of the reasons she's sort of, like, connected to this is because it sort of defined her. She talks about her first kiss Mm -hmm. of a guy who she says was very handsome, and she says of the girls, they were all blondes the next month, right? They all sort of dyed their hair to look like her. Um. Yeah, so it, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a key part of her identity. Yeah, for sure. And that that comes up, this is a mini spoiler, it comes up later where her and Sally are having disagreements. Sally goes, of course, what would mom be without her perfect nose? Yeah, and it's interesting <clears> because <throat> we meet her father later and he has a conversation with Sally that suggests that he is, wasn't the one who encouraged that. I don't remember that, but I'll take your word for it. Okay. Um, I feel like I had something else to think, say about that. It's also funny, just talking about Betty's character for a second, it's, she's an educated character. Mm-hmm. She, she speaks Italian. She went to Bryn Mawr. <laughs> she went to Bryn Mawr. She speaks Italian. And, um, it's, so it's just interesting that a lot of that was dropped. Um, and she really is playing a role, and we see that role ebb and flow a little bit, um, but it's interesting how well she could be educated and how cultured she can be. Because she went abroad, she toured abroad. Um, and it's really still just, despite her relative worldliness, um, she really does focus on like one thing. That's true. Yeah, it's interesting. Speaking of that one thing, um, another utopia we're showing for most of the women in the office is the whole lipstick scene, right? Yeah. They love, love, love the idea that they get to try on all these different shades of lipstick for work. Um, and it's, you know, it's utopia for them. And it's utopia for the men watching them through this um, one-way mirror. Well, they're in, like, the study group room. You know, it's, it's, it's perfect. Everybody loves it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not for Peggy. Her utopia is being clever, being intelligent, right? Mm-hmm. It's being a copywriter, even though she didn't really know it yet. Yeah. And so that's why she's so stoked when she'd be when she's told by Freddie and Joan basically like, hey, you can be a copywriter. And it, I was reading Mazzaro's book and it contrasts with sort of, I think it's the second episode, there's that scene where she's typing at her desk and all the men are sort of glaring at her mm-hmm. as they walk past. Um, it's a contrast, like it's, the attention she's getting now is different. It's not yeah. sort of, she's not being treated as an object, as something to be desired after she's treated as someone who's talented and has more worth and things like that. Um, 
So yeah, that, that becomes her utopia. I think it's also important to mention that in addition to that basket full of kisses conversation, the conversation that followed directly after it was um, being asked, like, did you try a color on? And she said no. And they're like, well, why not? And she goes, because somebody took my color. And they said, well, didn't you want any of the other colors? She goes, I don't want any color. I want my color. Yeah. So she said, I think women want me more than 100 colors. One yeah. of one, oh, one of 100 colors in a basket. Yeah. We have to let the cat out, so yeah. give us a second. It's great. Um, yes. Um, so, and then that's, again, that goes back to that second episode where she's being leered at. She's just like, y'all don't know what I'm about. You know, she's like, I'm not your... Unlike, you know, the other women, they're going through... The men are behind the glass are going through and they're just like... Frumpy, frumpy dress. Well, like, salas, which is hilarious. Yeah, which is yeah. hilarious. There's, like, mouse ears. There's, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, Peggy's just like, I, that's not what I'm about, mm-hmm. you know? That's whatever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Utopia also is sort of like the subtext of the entire Israel conversation, right? Because mm-hmm. Israel is supposed to be... They're trying to sell it as Utopia, and, you know, Don's sort of... It's it's funny to think that like Israel did not like exist as the modern incarnation for like I think less than like twenty years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so Don's really not familiar with the whole concept, and he's like, "Oh, it, it's it's paradise for Jewish people, right? Um, it's 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 got palm trees, it's got beaches, um, it's got oranges, it's got oranges, it's sunny there all the time." And they talk about how attractive the people are um, sometimes in a derisive way when one comparing them to American Jews, but like. Um, you know, they're, they're gazing at these pictures of, like, you know, beautiful Israeli women, right? Um, and so when he has this conversation with Rachel, he's like, isn't this supposed to be utopia? And she's like, I mean, sure. She's like, my people have been the diaspora for a very long time, and my utopia is the store. Like, this is where I'm in control. This is where I feel I have worth, and this is I'm carrying on my father's legacy and turning it into everything I think it can be. Um, it's what she is most comfortable doing, but she seasons on a potential utopia, right? She really likes Don, and Don really likes her. So Don sees in her a potential utopia. Betty's a potential utopia. Midge is a potential utopia. You can't have more than one utopia. I don't think so. I Maybe mean, you could, but like that, it, it sort of complicates things. Mm-hmm. And um, that idea of and 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 or you can have more than one. Utopia. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's what makes it the place that cannot be right. The mm-hmm. fact that he he can't really juggle these three women, and even though. Rachel knows he's married. She she also just kind of knows in the back of her mind that she can't, you know, sort of like be with him because he's married. It, it's it's the place that cannot be the thing that cannot be, and that informs certainly a lot of her behavior earlier on, um, in the series. But uh, we'll see what happens later. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, and the the other utopia I would talk about is, um, you know, Midge Dunn Roy go to the gaslight. And you can see the ba- the gaslight, the sort of utop- utopian utopia, this bohemian utopia, um, where people just get to tell these really raunchy poems about Fidel Castro and Akita Khrushchev, and they don't really make a lot of sense. Um, and actually, while they're there, Roy talks about how he's trying to found a uh, a theater for the people, by the people. You know, not that not that mediocre Broadway crap that the middle class clearly looking to Don sort of like you know keep subsidized through their season tickets to Dick Van Dyke and she says something else. 
Um, so he's trying to create his own utopia, right? Mm-hmm. And it's one that Don doesn't find appealing at all. Um, and I think a lot of sort of what happens in this show's portrayal of like the counterculture is the it's it's sort of it, it talks about sort of the I think surface level shallowness of it a little bit. Um, and it, it, it's neither sort of pro or anti, I don't think. I think it just kind of shows. And, but it's definitely through Don's perspective where it's like, what is this like weird and practical crap you're trying to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Um, anything you saw with Roger's family? I'm just now bringing up other things that happened in the episode. <laughs> I mean, I, well, I, I guess... Well, there is, it's, there's no allusion to it in this episode, but in the spoilers, we can address something okay. that ties into this. Sure. Um, I, I, do, I think it's interesting that Roger talk, is complaining about his daughter to Joan, and she's like, oh, you, she's just spoiled like you are, like, you know, a spoiled little Rockefeller, right? And I think that it's the idea that his daughter and him are sort of ideally growing up in utopia right like he literally had a, a business handed to him yeah um they're both incredibly wealthy growing up and it seems like she doesn't appreciate it he she doesn't appreciate the things that roger got to appreciate and enjoy and that kind of rubs him the wrong way all right shall we move on to our awards let's do awards all right our pete Campbell memorial who's best of the week who's worst of the week who's worst of the week my god I don't know. I don't know either. I think I'm gonna say I feel like I feel like if I if one of the men watching the woman was like especially bad, I would say that. I kind of feel like Don hmm. because he like goes back after Rachel after she was just very said and done this is not happening um so just the fact that he pushed her boundaries in that way he is a boundary pusher let's be real mm. but that's just wasn't very respectful I, it wasn't I think I am actually gonna say I don't know there's a lot of like I'm just going to say the men in the office in general, because there's a lot of just terrible things they say yeah. and do. Um, when they're talking about trying to figure out the lipstick pitch, Freddie goes, I don't speak more on Do you speak more on Of course, because it's a woman-facing product. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, again, they're just kind of ogling the women, making all these kind of rude comments. Even Sal is super nasty. He's criticizing the woman's appearance. He says a lot of anti-Semitic things. Pete says a lot of anti-Semitic things. He always says anti-Semitic things. Um... Don makes a comment about Peggy where it's like, I can't stand her earnestness. I think mm-hmm. just the, like, no one in particular, but just, like, the men in general. Yeah. The men of Sterling Cooper. The men of Sterling Cooper. Which includes Don. Yes. So we basically pick the same thing. Um, all right. And then our Roger Sestorial, Roger Sestorial, Roger Sterling best line of the week I have when he is in the hotel room with Joan and he's talking about their glorious room service platter he goes aren't you going to have any of this look we've got oysters rockefeller beef wellington napoleons we leave this lunch alone it'll take over europe mm-hmm. yeah that's a good one yeah 
And it's like, oh, obviously all these wealthy, powerful figures, blah, blah, blah. And then you just kind of sit in that alone. So, yeah. All right. We ready to move on to spoilers? Yes. Cool. front of your mind um i'll just touch on some of the things that i alluded to earlier um when it comes to roger's family the utopia that his daughter finds is she ends up running away to like a hippie commune yeah and they and they talk about the communes in israel too yes um so that's just something that's really not alluded to at all in the episode but it's an interesting to look back now and see that happen um um, yeah, we talked about how um, Sally and Betty have some words over appearances. Um, Sally's much more of a rough and tumble kind of girl than Betty is. And the thing that um, Betty's father says to Sally is something along the lines of, like, don't follow your mother. You can be whatever you want to be. Mm-hmm. You don't need validation. You can just go and do it. Um, so there's that the 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 other the other Betty thing is that when she's talking about Joan Crawford and her mother and she says I would hope that you know the way her mother looked when she was older would mm-hmm. be a, a sort of uh, you know a peek into the future for her and there's a scene when her father has dementia and thinks that she is her mother and kind of like yeah. her and she says when she dies she wouldn't want to grow old she would just want to disappear and when she ends up being diagnosed with cancer she refuses really any medical treatment. Yeah. And she just wants to sort of wither away and die sort of perfect and pretty. And leaves very specific instructions for Sally about how she'd like to be buried and how she'd like to be dressed. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Peggy being a copywriter. Yeah, it's not really foreshadowing. It's just, no. it's just a thing that happens. Um, I've... The, the whole sort of scene of Adam being born. It's like, oh, I named him Adam after the first man, which sort of is cruel once you realize that Dick Whitman was named Dick because the prostitute who his father slept with and whom gave birth to him said that she would cut off his father Dick and fried him pork fat if he was not wearing a condom. And then she just kind of repeated that phrase over and over as she died in childbirth. This show can be cruel to its characters. Yes. Um... I mean, this this is sort of foreshadowing when when they're making out and they're joking about um, joking about uh, they mentioned college for some reason. Oh, because she's this? when Betty and Don are making out and Betty's okay. like, oh, blah blah blah. I read it in anthropology, blah blah blah. Don goes, oh, well, how about like you know, advanced procreation? Yeah. And she's like, ah, you flunked it because you were caught cheating. And I'm like, ah. But Don will eventually get caught cheating by Sally, not by mm-hmm. Betty. Betty will find out that he's cheating, but actually catching him in the act will be Sally. Um, they, they talk about how they might be able to Hilton in Israel. Of course, Don will end up working for Hilton mm-hmm. um, in a very sort of complicated relationship. Roger says he wants to leave his wife to leave with Joan, to sit, be with Joan. He will eventually leave his wife, but not for Joan, hopefully mm-hmm. for... Um, Jane? Jane, yes, Jane Sterling. Um, Roger says he'd like to lock Joan up for a week. Don will try to do that with, um, I don't remember her name now, the woman who Linda Carter Lundy plays. It's not Miriam. It's something that starts with an M. Yeah, I forget her name. Yeah. 
But the Lady Uselli actually catches him with. Um, she does not have any of it. Uh, let's see. Don looks at the Holocaust pictures, which kind of is reminiscent of later on in the series, Peggy and Stan and Peggy's friend will look at the pictures of the the serial killer who he killed like those nurses in the oh, room. Yeah. And they're kind of like stoked about it and they think it's really interesting, fascinating, really kind of cool. Or as Don's like, yeah, Holocaust pictures, this is nasty. Just kind of a, a warping of values over time. Uh, Betty says they should get an air conditioner in their house. Um, Betty will have an interaction with an air conditioning salesman mm-hmm. later on in the series and will have some bizarre sexual fantasy about him. Well, not bizarre. She'll have a sexual fantasy about him. They mention Howard Johnson's in this episode. Howard Johnson's will be seen of a pivotal site in Don and Megan's relationship. Um, Freddie is seen having a screwdriver for breakfast. Of course, Freddie's drinking will become a big sticking point throughout the oh, series. Oh, yeah, I noticed that a lot in this episode. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even talk about him, his utopia is alcohol. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He says, you know, your, your day's ruined if you don't have your orange juice. And it's like, well, yeah. bring vodka in. It's, it's funny, I didn't even notice. I just remember him, what happens later. Well, this is the spoiler section, so it's fine to say mm-hmm. that he gets booted from Sterling Cooper because of his drinking problem. Um, and I didn't even, I, for me, it just that totally came out of the blue. I was like, I don't remember this guy. I don't remember him drinking. Mm. But it's very obvious early on that he has a drinking problem. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, they pretty much all do. Um, yeah. Other spoilers I have is, I think they refer to one of the lipstick colors as ketchup. They mention ketchup in some capacity. Peggy will try to create an ad campaign for ketchup later on in the series. Um, earnestness. Don says, like, oh, I can't really stand Peggy's earnestness or something to that effect. And... Later on this, in the series, Megan will actually sort of, like, come crying to Peggy, complain about how Peggy and the rest of the Sterling Cooper staff are not earnest enough. Now, they never smile, they only smirk. Right after Don is very upset that she threw a birthday party for him. And then, of course, Joan's roommate, Carol, who Roger mentions, Carol, will appear in a later episode and yes. confess her love for Joan. And then she, like, disappears know. forever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Cool. Any final thoughts? I enjoyed this episode. I think this is the episode that I remembered the most from the first season, although I did not remember it today. Um, but it because it's such a pivotal episode, and I think... It starts kind of breaking down a lot of the character motivations mm-hmm. um, and a lot of like what a lot of their storylines will revolve end up revolving around, like mm-hmm. the crux of who they are, and that's fun to see. Yeah, I, I think it's sort of like one of the first episodes that sort of like reaches for sort of like high art, sort of mm-hmm. prestige heights. I don't know that it one hundred percent succeeds, but it's it's interesting to see it try at least. Yes, it tries. Cool. Well, thanks so much for listening. This has been a thing like that. Um, you can follow us. We're not on Google Podcasts, Spotify, <laughs> iTunes yet, but maybe by the time you listen to it, we will be. We are on SoundCloud, though. We also do sort of contribute to a not sort of, we do contribute to a website called The Post Writer, which the SoundCloud feed for this podcast is on. So easy. One-stop shop. It's true. And our other podcast, Real Life Oscar Challenge, which we do with my roommate Lars, is on there as well. That is, in fact, on all streaming platforms. Um... Otherwise, my name is Michael Levito. You can find me on Twitter at mlevito, on Letterbox at Ameramike. 
And I'm Kathleen Levito, and you can find me on Instagram at Rise to the Sun. I did sound like I was going to finish that sentence, did I? Yes, you did. Anyway, um, thanks so much for listening, and um, yeah, don't have screwdrivers for breakfast, I guess. Or do. Yeah. <laughs> you set it's the tone of the day. <laughs> it's your life.